Welcome back to the Common Sense uh, Wellness Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, uh, Timothy Crumley, and I'm here with Emma Cranston, our other co-host, um, as well as my new dog, Bo, is joining our meeting. Um, he's in- entering and coming in out of my office. Um, so if you hear a shake or a bark, that is what that is. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll get started. Um, today, actually, we're going to focus on, we're going to jump back to COVID, but this time around, we're going to be talking about uh, navigating family members, colleagues, friends, even clients, um, but navigating individuals in our lives who have um, different approaches when it comes to getting vaccinated and taking protective measures, primarily the vaccine. But, um, and that's my very kind way of saying how to talk to people who won't get vaccinated. Um, (laughs) So uh, that said, um, we'll do a quick introduction of our group um, and then we will jump back and uh, start start our episode. The Common Sense Wellness Group is a group of providers, social workers, mental health counselors, and nurse practitioners uh, serving clients within New York State. Uh, We work primarily through telehealth and have since uh, 2018, uh, but we also do provide uh, in-person services in the capital region of New York. Uh, If you have uh, further uh, questions or you want to uh, explore our services further, uh, you can find us at www.commonsensemh.com or you can reach out to us at intake at commonsensemh.com. All right, so we'll jump into today's topic. Um, yes, uh, yeah, just some self-disclosure and just some context. I um, And I'm not going to disclose who or in relation to, um, just for their own, you know, um, confidentiality. Privacy, Privacy yeah. Um, you know, but I've been navigating um, some struggles around a family member that I'm close with who um, won't get vaccinated with COVID-19 and um, been some interactions around that. However, um, uh, I was on a trip with them fairly recently and that's part of what has spurred on this topic was um, I ran into my own frustrations navigating, navigating that process and then talking with Emma, you know, you talked about that for yourself, mm-hmm. Emma, you've had some of those personal experiences and then we're talking about, you know, navigating this in our work and with clients and as providers, like what's our responsibility and what do we do? Um, remaining within our scope, all that, yes. all that jazz. Um, so yeah. So yeah, we'll jump in. Um, I'm going to ask this too, just because like I have so many feelings in the matter. I don't want to just launch into it. Anything that you want to start with Emma or any hmm. thoughts that you're having out with. Um, oh my gosh, no, my cat's, I'm sorry. If you hear my cat meowing mildly at the door, she just started, but sorry. I also just um, turned up your volume a little bit because you were a little bit low. So I'm, we're going to hear your cat even more so now. Perfect. Great. Hopefully she's bothering Rob in the other office then. <laughs> she's been on a roll today. Let me tell you. Um, no worries. But, um, all right, around the vaccine, now that I'm completely distracted here, I... I've had such a, an interesting, like, conglomeration of experiences with folks not wanting to get vaccinated. Mm. Um, I particularly struggled with the folks that I, I view. There's no way to say this; it doesn't sound kind of mean. So I'm just going to barrel ahead. But the folks that I view as like particularly intelligent. Mm. Um, then kind of having that, like, oh yeah, I don't want to get the vaccine. It's like that dissonance breaks my brain for a mm. moment. I'm just like, wait, what? And, and this is where some of my own judgment will come in. Like, wait, you're smarter than that. What are you, mm. what? Yeah. Um, mm. So I, I've had a lot of feelings. I will totally acknowledge that a lot of my feelings have kind of dissipated because just personally within 
my life and the people that I care most about. Like any of the issues that I was navigating have resolved themselves. I'm, I'm mm. happily grateful that like all of my close family and friends are vaccinated and that gives me a lot of relief. I notice much less like simmering stress mm. than the safety of the people that I love. So I, I feel like my reactivity is a lot less, um, I don't want to say relevant, but it, it's just, it's it's been tampered down a bit because it's no longer mm. a, a current issue for me. Sure. Um, so now it's much more stuff that I'll just navigate with clients in regards to like, you know, a, a client talking about their parent or something who doesn't want to get the vaccine and how they can navigate that. So it's, I feel like it's shifted a lot for me, luckily. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know if I have a follow up to that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I no, well, first off, congratulations just in terms of people in your circle doing that and taking that precaution. I'm mm-hmm. really glad to hear that. Um, yeah, my dog is like, he's pacing around <laughs> me right now. He's shaking. So again, you're going to hear some background noise. That's today, man. It is. He has thoughts on it too, apparently. Um, it is pleasing. Yes, yes. Um, but yeah, no, so I'm glad to hear that. And I think, you know, that is part of what happens, right? Like the, these things do tend to resolve. Um, not always, of course. And, and unfortunately, there's enough cases where that's not happening. But I think there's been quite a few where that has been the case. I have some people that I'm close with who initially were very hesitant. Um, and then for one reason or another, eventually moved forward. And um, and I just, as someone who cares about them, breathes a sigh of relief. Like, okay, they have, yeah. you know, this additional layer, right? Um, so no, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And it is, it's, it's tough because, so, I mean, just a a few thoughts that come to my mind, um, you know, one, uh, you know, I think that there are populations or groups of people who, um, not that I get to dictate this, especially from my, you know, my position of privilege, you know, within our society, uh, that said, I think that there are people who, uh, have very good reason to be, um, hesitant, even if, even despite the data, even everything we're seeing. And even though I would say, yes, absolutely. Talk to your doctor. And if your doctor agrees, get the vaccine. Absolutely. Um, you know, like there are groups of people that it's like, well, of course, like that's, you know, look at the history. Of course, like there's going to be that hesitancy and that's not their fault. You know, that's, that's a, that's a system issue. That's, you know, Mm -hmm. something that, you know, those of us who benefit from the system need to look at. So that's one issue, right? And that, mm-hmm. I guess, in my mind is, I mean, it's related, but it's also separate. Because I think the thing that really gets under my skin has to do with people who look like me and who benefit from the systems that I benefit from. And essentially, they're, um, again, I'm trying to be um, non-shameful about this, um, but but they're they're very, very concerned about their well-being about taking this protective measure, which, you know, and for those who maybe aren't aware, um, I just want to say too, I mean, I think this podcast, this is going to be bias, right? Oh, we're, we're biases here. We're going to also disclaim probably 18 times to talk to your doctor because we're not medical professionals. It's, it's outside of our scope, whether any one person should or shouldn't get the vaccine. But my, my viewpoint is that if there's research and there's data out there that you can access and that you're being provided and you do talk to your doctor and your doctor agrees with it, mm-hmm. why would you not? And I think that's, and that's what we're getting to with this. And, and in my mind, again, I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, fellow, white cis men um, who, you know, this has been tested and, and tried on and we have no reason to fear, fear this thing at this point. And I say that because there is just so much data around it and assuming your doctor is in agreement with it, it's something that um, it's it's unprecedented and it's very unique because of the situation 
of COVID, right? It's a pandemic. So we have something where the whole world has been impacted. So the whole world, especially now that since the initial studies have happened or they're still happening technically, but those initial stages happened and we had enough data to release it. Now we have, I think, I don't want to, please don't quote me on figures, but it's something like, you know, 3 billion initial shots have been given out, something along those lines. And please fact check me on that. I could be that number could be off, but it's a lot. It's a lot. Right. Like a good chunk of the world population is either fully vaccinated or has been partially vaccinated. Um, and there's access issues around that. There's people, you know, there's privilege issues around that, around who's getting and who's not, which is a whole other set of issues and problems. That said, we have unprecedented data around that. And scientifically mm-hmm. speaking, that's a such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like that's, and, I, and I don't think, I don't know if for people who don't have as much exposure to that or who just don't, like maybe it's just people don't quite get it. But like, I, I can't put into words. I've, I've watched researchers themselves have trouble putting this into words, just how significant that is, that we have the kind of data that we have now. Um, and I think that's where a lot of, um, I don't know what word I would use, because I will totally self-disclose that, you know, a lifetime ago, back before vaccines, when vaccines were first being talked about, I had some of that hesitance of like, mm-hmm. mm, I don't know if I want to get the vaccine when it first comes out. Like, I'm not sure... I also was in denial for a good long time. If anyone goes back to any of our previous episodes that focus on COVID, <laughs> there's so many. I'm like, we'll be going to London this summer. Like, she was cute. She was helpful. But no. Um, so I will totally acknowledge that I had some of my own struggles with vax, or I'm sorry, with COVID in general. Mm. But part of that was like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to feel about a vaccine because I know enough about um, like testing processes of any type of medication and trials and trials on vaccines. Like I learned enough about that in grad school. Kind of goes back to your point that no, I'm not a medical provider. So I'm not like medical professional to give feedback on this. Um, But I knew just enough to not know what I was talking about. If Mm. that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, because I remember that trials are supposed to take X amount of years and COVID-19 hasn't been here for X amount of years. So how can they like, no, this seems rushed. And then was able to take in new information. And that's like one of the really important aspects, just because I have a perspective or this perception of a thing. Yes. Doesn't mean that it's fact. I don't, I'm not a scientist. Yes. I am not a medical provider of anything. Even if I was, right? Like, even if I'm a nurse, a doctor, being a doctor does not make me knowledgeable of all the medical things, mm, right? Like, right. if I'm a, I don't know, an optometrist, I'm not going to know everything about what goes into the process of validating and dispersing vaccines. Yeah. Yes. I just won't. Yeah. Um, so I don't even want to say like, oh, any medical professional who gives you any information about this is good enough. Yeah. Like, no, like go to your primary care provider, look to the CDC, like look to mm. reliable sources. Um, so it's okay to gather new information and change our perspective. Yeah. Because ultimately mm. once I was eligible, I, I was right there like, sign me up, baby. Yeah. Give yes. me a shot. <laughs> like, let, let me get this. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, I hear that. And and I think you, you what you just nailed there, though, Emma, is that it's that unwillingness 
to take in new information. I think for me, that's part of what gets really scary about this. And I think it ties, you know, we've talked about, you know, shifts within our political landscape. We've talked about, you know, just different social dynamics on this podcast before. And I think it ties into this. I think we, I mean, this has been in in existence, but now we're seeing it even more so in the last five, you know, four or five years. But um, yeah, it's, it's scary because yeah, it's it's like the hesitancy. There can be really good reasons why someone's hesitant. There are people who um, have you know autoimmune issues, right? Who you know really need to. I mean, again, I always recommend somebody talking to their you know doctor. Um, yeah. I got dogs barking outside my office window now, so just in case of listening. I had big air brakes on a huge truck going by a minute ago. So. I heard that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but yeah, I um, you know, so I think you know, uh, what was I saying? So yeah, so. Um, it's something where, um, you know, there are, there are people who in a very genuine way, you know, need to be having conversations and doing research and need to decide if it's something that they can or should do. Um, and no one else can dictate that for that person, right? Like that's, and that's part of what gets awkward with this, which we can talk more about it. It's a, it's a personal health decision Mm -hmm. at the end of the day. So it's like, there's some awkwardness there, but, um, but yeah, I think I think that unwillingness to take in the information to talk to because because while I'm running into trouble, so this family member that I referred to earlier, part of the problem I run into with them is um, well, for one, I don't and actually I don't know this. I should have asked more about this, I guess, but um, I don't get the sense that they have a medical provider that they truly trust. Like they have medical providers that they I've I've seen them turn to when they've like needed to. Or if there's been like a trauma or issue, but like I, I don't know if they have a PCP that they trust mm-hmm. or that they really. And I think that's a big part of it because yeah, there's, you know, there's a. We talked about this in the podcast all the time. There's a lot of awful providers, yeah, in our fields, Absolutely. doctors, therapists, you know, people who are in it for the wrong reasons, people who engage in harm knowingly or unknowingly. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, the healthcare system is is incredibly flawed, and so, oh yeah, the person that I'm thinking of though, so yeah, they don't have that trust. Right. With a provider that I'm aware of. So I think that that's part of it. The other part of it is um, there's, yeah, there's just no trust with any of it. Right. So like, for example, you just mentioned go to the CDC. Right. This person, I can tell you right now, they were sitting in this conversation would go, well, OK, well, the CDC. And then like and then he would go on this tirade about the CDC for about 30 minutes and and he would make good points. Like he would make valid points about, you know, government, uh, you know, corruption. Right. Like, all right, let me let me jump back for a moment. So just from my other perspective and to speak to this person's point for a moment um, and for our listeners who maybe I'm guessing who are probably more so on the side of, you know, getting vaccinated and probably agree with us probably more so politically. But to go off his point for a moment, do I want um, an agency that's ultimately overseen by Donald Trump to give me information? Now, granted, this is complicated, right? So I'm not agreeing with his ultimate like, and I'll get to that in a minute, but there's a point to be made there. Cause I think about it in that framework and I'm like, well, shit, no, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I don't trust that. I wouldn't, you know, um, the government's complicated and there's layers to it. And there are reasons why you should listen to the CDC in my opinion. Right. And we'll get to that, but he's making a point, right. And he's saying, Hey, this, you know, federal entity that has made errors before that has clearly been influenced before. Why would I trust what they're saying now? And I want to just validate that because there, there's something to validate there. Yeah. Um, now, 
I guess and part of the point that I was trying to make to this person when I was seeing them most recently was um, that this is really complicated because I think there's a lot of entities where that's the case, right? Like this becomes one of those slippery slope arguments because um, right, I'll just take myself, for example, um, as a therapist, I've made errors. I've made mistakes. I have granted unknowingly, I didn't intentionally do this, but attention becomes irrelevant. I've harmed clients before in my work. Mm-hmm. And hopefully I learned from that and I didn't do it again. But I have harmed people because even just statistically speaking, even if I can't think of an exact instance in this moment of when I did, um, right. and there are times when I've been able to, but even if I can't in a moment, statistically, I must have harmed somebody at some point. Yes. Right? And there's many reasons for that. So have you. So has any other healthcare provider. Mm-hmm. We've done that in our work. Mm-hmm. Um, we will do it again. Yes. Right. Same thing applies on a larger level to science. Right. Science comes, you know, can can make some amazing breakthroughs and can we can come to some amazing like conclusions and, and understanding and, and knowledge. And there have been times where science has gone in the direction that ultimately was then countered. Right. Then the mm-hmm. ultimate that conclusion. Was, I mean, that's the scientific method, right? That's the whole point of science. And we expect that to happen. Um, Same thing with the media and with government, right? It's like, and this is part of the issue I think we're running into and we're seeing it with the vaccine, but we've seen it in other ways too. It's this black and white, all or nothing thinking. There's biased media out there, which there absolutely is. There's biased media out there. So in conclusion, I can't watch the news. I can't absorb new information because I can't trust at any point, at any time, in any way, shape, or form, I can't trust where it's coming from. So then as a result, even though there is bias and misinformation out there, you don't you don't consume the very important real information that's out there either. And I think that happens with sources like the CDC, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a government entity. And yeah, governments have various agendas. I get that. But the CDC also does have credibility depending on what they're talking about and what we're looking at. And if you look at the data and you look at the research that they're going off of, which they make transparent, you can find it. You know, Google exists. It's there. Um, you see that there are just study after study after study, and especially around the impacts of COVID and the vaccine at this point. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, how would you recommend that folks assess their sources? Because mm. if I think to the folks in my life who had some level of hesitance more than I kind of normalize it, this might be some of my own bias because I mm. did it as well. Um, but that initial hesitation of like, oh, there's a vaccine coming out. I don't know about it. I don't know how I feel mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. I almost normalized that again because yeah. I did it. Yep, <laughs> like, totally. Like, oh, it's probably fine. Totally. Um, but there was a, a friend of mine and I totally respected her rationale. Mm. Um, and I don't mean that I was disrespectful towards folks where I didn't like give my stamp of approval of their rationale. But it was so well-reasoned. Somebody that I view as mm. highly intelligent, um, very clearly was doing some of their own research and not the cute YouTube video sheeple kind of research that I, I like to see floating around. Um, mm. But legitimate research. This is somebody who has a level of like scientific training to be able to assess. Um, and ultimately their decision was around like, Honestly, it was too sciencey for me. But like, I've had these types of vaccines before that are this certain type of, I don't know, thing, mm. whatever. I don't know. It's a, a certain type of vaccine that is not similar to Pfizer and Moderna, but is similar to the J and J one. So I'm not getting the vaccine now. 
because I'm waiting for the J&J one or something mm. like that, where it was kind of yeah. like, okay, you're not throwing out the entire concept of vaccines. Right. Overall, you're acknowledging the importance and need for vaccines. Right. However, you are also acknowledging your own personal hesitance based off of your research and your experience yes. and your like legit research. Yes. So yes. how would you recommend that folks explore and like validate the research that they're doing? That's a, that's a good question. I don't know if I have one answer to it, but my mm-hmm. thoughts and reactions to what you just brought up are, are this. Um, so like it made, it made me think of, you talked about your friend with that. Um, I have a contrast with that too. I have another family member that I'm really close with and she has her own hesitancies or had her own hesitancies mm-hmm. around, her own, my words, her own <laughs> hesitancies around the vaccine. But a couple of things with that, right? This other family member, she has legit, legitimate health conditions that does, it makes, it makes it more complicated for her, right? To figure out like what that is um, and what she needs to do. She did consult her doctor, right? She consulted mm-hmm. various people, myself included, right? We had, you know, conversations within a family context, obviously not as a therapist, but, you know, as somebody who's family to this person, um, you know, so like she did that, she, you know, and she's like notorious for doing a lot of digging and like, it's one of those people when she says she's done her research, she's actually done research and she actually, you know, right. So it's like, yeah, she's not just pulling up a random YouTube video. Like she's actually doing the work and she's put hours into the work at that point. So, um, and ultimately it was very similar. She's like, okay, based on what I'm seeing in this moment, I'm going to go with this and I'm not going to go with this other form of the vaccine because of X, Y, and Z. And that's what she did. And, you know, and now when it comes to the boosters and other things, depending on what they recommend in the coming months, she's forming up her own decision around that. But yeah, that's, but Emma, like that, I think you just nailed it. Like she's not turned off to learning new information. In fact, she's constantly taking in information. She's asking my opinion on it. She's asking her doctor's opinion on it. She's, you know, like that's the difference right there, right? Like that's, you know, and one thing I said to this other, so the other person I was talking about who is unvaccinated and who's very steadfast about it, um, I think when it comes to doing research and people who don't trust any of it, I think, well, for one, you know, there's that question of at what point do you trust something in this, right? It's kind of like, it's kind of like the the world being flat, right? Um, This did not come up with this family member, although at one point I thought of it and it just didn't come up in our conversation, but I was going to make some (laughs) points to him with this too. I'm like, you know, yeah, like, Actually, there are experiments that you can. There are. I find my words here. There are experiments. There we go. If I can speak, there are experiments that you can do from home. Actually, that prove this too. But let's say for a moment there weren't, or you didn't know what those were. Um, can you immediately prove that the, that the world is round? Some people would not. Again, a scientist who's here could tell us exactly what to do. And I think there's like literally like very quick things you can do to, to prove this. But even if you didn't know, and I, obviously I don't know because I can't think of them right now. Um, if you didn't know in that moment. Yeah, you know, technically, um, I'm taking other people's word for I'm taking other people's word that space is what it is. I've never gone to space. And hell, unless I, you know, absolutely have to, I'm never going to space. So, um, right? I, I find it fascinating. I'll watch documentaries on it, but I'm not going to go up there. So um, that said, I have to trust other people saying that there's and this family member I'm talking about totally believes that the world is round and totally believes in space and finds space fascinating and you know whether he realizes it or not he puts his trust into things right and so that's my thought too it's like okay you're trusting something because if you didn't 
you wouldn't do anything. Because again, we want to go with the slippery slope analogy or, or framework, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if we can't trust anything, then you can't trust the car that you drive. You can't trust the food from your grocery store. You can't trust the agriculture that that is at play or that, you know, the, the agriculture industry within our country. You can't trust, yep. um, you don't trust the government. So, you know, how are you going to leave your house? How do you trust your house? Who built your house? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Do you know the engineers who built your house? Do you know the blueprints that went into building your house? Do you know, like, if you go on the second story that you're actually going to stay on the second story and your house is not going to collapse in or you're going to fall through the floor? Like, where do you draw the line with trust? Clearly, you trust certain things, even if they're outside of your expertise, even if you don't understand them because you have experience with them. You have other people who have experience with them and you listen to them and you want to live and survive. And in order to do that, you engage in these things that allow for your survival. Mm -hmm. And we do it every day. Even the most hardcore, far right, you know, you know, I don't trust, you know, like whatever, um, you know, most hardcore libertarian, you trust somebody. Right. And so that's I guess that's where that goes for me initially. It's like, all right, well, you already trust things. So let's let's look at what you trust. What is it about those things that you trust? Right. All right. An argument that could be made. Granted, you know, the family member I'm thinking of isn't here. But, you know, somebody could make the argument of, uh, well, my house has never collapsed. But the government has has screwed me over before, and I've watched the government screw other people over. Totally valid, right? You took you take that into account, and you're more likely to trust the engineer who built your house than a politician. Fine, that's you know makes sense, right? But then right there, you're you're deducing information from that, right? So you're not saying, okay, well, I don't trust anything because these entities over here have wronged me or have wronged, you know, you're deciding, okay, I can trust this. I can't trust that. I can trust it. I can't trust. And the reality is if we want to get even more specific, you know, we talk about consumption of information and knowledge, you're trusting certain things. So if we just stick within the same category, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You're trusting media at some level because otherwise you wouldn't consume any information and yeah. You probably can't function that long, not doing that. Right. Mm-hmm. You're consuming information in many different ways, but even just in terms of like the food that you decide to eat, what you decide to consume, you're deciding that based on things that you know and based on things that you've been taught. Yep. Right. So you're consuming media and probably in there, just probably things that are from the medical community. There's probably things that are government based. There's probably things that are, you know, research based that are outside of those entities or whatever, but you're trusting information from certain places mm-hmm. and you're giving credibility to that. And whether you want to or not, you're doing it again, probably because you need to, to survive. Mm-hmm. So if we bring this all back, my, I guess my point to it is like, all right, so you're you're having to trust certain things for those reasons. You're having to trust certain um, elements of information and, and taking in information. So how are you drawing lines when it comes to the vaccine? Mm-hmm. What is the difference there? Because, okay, if it was just the government coming out and saying that you should get a vaccine and you had doctors across the country saying, wait, don't do it. This isn't, you know. I would be hesitant. I probably wouldn't take it, right? <laughs> yeah. A lot of people would probably not, you know, regardless of their political leanings or trust in government, they, they probably would be a lot more hesitant. Mm-hmm. That's not the situation that we're in. We're in a situation where there's a, there is as much agreement about this as there is about smoking and about the mm-hmm. impact of smoking, right? One one example I I told you I was going to go off on this one example yeah, I'm loving I it. <laughs> one example I brought up with this family member when I was seeing them recently we were we were out to dinner and I was eating a bowl of mac of, of uh, mac and cheese and we're going back and forth about the vaccine and I hold the bowl of mac and cheese and I go I go I I have more data to trust and to support the vaccine 
and its safety than I do this bowl of mac and cheese right now. I have a better idea where that vaccine came from and what's in it and what it does and what it's going to do than I do this bowl of mac and cheese right now. I don't know where this this bowl of food actually came from. I don't know. The person who prepared it could have spit in it for all I know. I don't know where it came from. Mm -hmm. I I know the process that that vaccine has gone through. At least I know it enough that I could have more confidence in that than that bowl of mac and cheese. Right. I trust both. And I still ate the bowl of mac and cheese. But mm-hmm. yeah. So like, yeah, I'm going to pause there because I'll just keep going. But like that's that's I think where that goes for me. It's like, OK, we have to draw lines in the sand when it comes to trust. And I think people's lines are a lot more blurred than they realize, even if they think, you know, yeah, I don't trust the media. Yes, of course you trust the media. You trust media that you like and that you feel biased towards. We all do that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Are you going outside of that and looking at and then the other piece to this? And this is a this is a genuine. This is not a judgment or I'm not trying to, like, create shame in any way. In fact, I think it's reflective of our systems that this is a problem. There's a lot of people who don't know how the scientific method works and not because they're dumb or stupid or because they don't they just don't know. They don't know because no one freaking taught them. And we have mm-hmm. a system in place that doesn't teach that well and that again if you don't benefit from layers of privilege you are less likely to have an understanding as to how that works so when i talk about like oh a peer-reviewed journal you know this family member i think he might kind of understand that but i you know he also kind of looks at me like i have two heads and it's like yeah you don't know what that is of course you don't know what that is why would you know what that is no one's taught you what that is and why and why that has a lot of credibility. And that can also still be wrong. Right. But it has a lot more credibility than um, whoever says mac and cheese is safe. Right. Or whoever that's says part, that's inherently part of why peer reviewed journals are so important. Yes, right. they can be wrong. But generally, anything that is getting published within a peer reviewed journal has already a, been under the microscope right. to a certain extent. Right. So it's not just like, oh, hey, yeah, we're going to just accept whoever submits a thing to publish cool no they're looking into it then of course these peer-reviewed journals per whatever field i'm not going to say you know Mm -hmm. something published in the peer-reviewed journal on bioluminescent jellyfish is going to be as applicable to (laughs) for some reason i still remember i had a paper on that That was very specific yeah i yeah yeah, i still know some (laughs) things about them apparently um that's not the name of the journal but whatever that journal some biology journal is not going to necessarily have all of the inner workings specifically mm. of, you know, the vaccine. Yeah. And I'm thinking of that one specific journal that writes about jellyfish. Biology <laughs> can be relevant to the vaccine. I'm not saying it's not, but the jellyfish one is not. Yeah. Relevant. Well, and also they're, they're just cool. I mean, you know. I mean, it was a very cool article and I spent $54 to purchase it. it was, Damn. Painful. That was before I learned to just like read abstracts and get through everything fast. Um, totally not saying that's the only takeaway, though. <laughs> Well, and like, let's just go off that for, for a second, right? That's, that's another good example, right? You've read enough articles that you've gotten to a point where, now granted, there may be for a set of reasons why you'd want to dive further into any one article. Totally. Right? But there's probably some that you decide, all right, I'm going to go off the abstract for a whole host of reasons. And I think, so that's the other thing. It's like, so then my other reaction to what you had said earlier, and again, a point maybe to be made if it's helpful to people who struggle with this, is um, when people say they've done their research, Unless they're the family member who I mentioned before, uh, the woman who was hesitant but got the vaccine, unless you're her, because she legitimately does her own research, unless you're her, um, you have not. You have not. Right. Like like you said earlier, you, you watch something on YouTube. You watch a Netflix documentary. 
on it, mm-hmm. right? Which, granted, that could be really informative, and maybe it's it, that in of itself is based on research because there's many documentaries that are, and it's a great source of information. But yeah. yeah, you have not truly done research. Googling something for five minutes is not that. Finding the articles and going into and right and again, there's there's access barriers here, right? But you know, you purchase it, whatever. Hopefully, you don't have to, but you actually get access to the journal. And you actually look at what the scientists did, right? And instead of getting stuck at, oh, well, see, you have to pay the journal. And isn't that part of the – so, yes, that is fu- that is a fucked up part of our yes. education system. Absolutely. Yes. But the scientists in the journal who did the, who did the experiment, they're actually doing the experiment. And what you can do – and, again, people don't know this, but you can look at the method. You can look at the methodology. You can look at the, the – look at how the data was found. What, you know, what was their sample size? How many people did they, did they do this with? Obviously, that matters. What was their method of collecting information? Was it a double blind study? Was it a, you know, like what, what type of study was it? And these are all things, again, you would want to know. And this is where, again, unfortunately we have failed a lot of people by not people not knowing this, but like knowing what those terms even mean, like, what is it? What is a double blind study? You know, what is a good sample size based Mm -hmm. on the the area that you're looking at? Um, This is all research lingo that I think unfortunately gets classified as, you know, East coast liberal, gibberish but the reality is that there's a real scientific method here that is tried and true and unfortunately if you don't have access to it and you're not knowledgeable in it it is foreign to you and you're not going to understand it and someone who's trying to explain it to you kind of like how we are right now in this episode you're going to be listening to it going yeah whatever that's fuzzy math and i don't you know whatever and people blow it off but those are the things to google right like what does it mean to be a double blind study right right because there's definitions can have a little bit more legitimacy. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, if I'm trying to figure out the different, you know, am I saying um, there or there, right? Like, which there am I using for this? Sure, that's something appropriate to Google. I can, it's, there's not a depth to it hmm. versus, hey, explain neurochemical blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Um, right. Google's not just going to give me a nice, quick and easy answer. And generally, we're looking for the quick and easy answers. Yes. I would posit that a quick and easy answer is not feasible for many things, particularly yes. when we bring it to COVID. Yes. Right? Like, what is it? Google Scholar, I think. Um, accessible research, mm. um, database thing, whatever. <laughs> that was very eloquently stated, but <laughs> Google Scholar, you can type something in to, you know, if I want to learn about studies for the COVID vaccines, mm-hmm. that will return some things. Mm. These will have their abstract available to you. Read it. Yeah. Um, rule of thumb, the smaller the sample size, the less reliable. Mm-hmm. Um, sample sizes n. What so, does just not to cut you off, but what does reliability versus validity mean? Right. right? Like that's right. another good example, right? People and really yeah. when we're coming down to it, the the phrase that's been coming into my mind since we even talked about doing this episode was face validity. Mm. Uh, and I think that is where I'm applying it broadly here. Um so it's more of an operational definition. But we're looking for the face validity of where we're gathering our information. Mm. And that can be as simple as like that really cool sounding guy on YouTube who said things that sound smart and he said them confidently. So I, I mean, gosh, he clearly, he knows what he's talking about. Why am I going to question him? So just because I can be confidently incorrect in something does not mean that it's good information that I'm sharing. Cause if I'm real with you, 
me, Emma Cranston as a person, there are plenty of times my husband asks me a question and I confidently answer. I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not yes. good, right? Yes. Like, we can all be confidently incorrect. Yes. Um, so being able to figure out what validity versus reliability is, mm. what a sample size is, mm. what an abstract is. An abstract is essentially the Cliff Notes version, the summary of what the article is about. And it will give you a couple sentences on every one of the subsections. Yeah. Like it will give you the basic information to kind of know what the study is about mm. um, or what the paper is about. I'm sorry. One of the great things, if it's in a peer reviewed journal, other people are generally taking a look at it. It's not, science is not, hey, cool, this worked out one time. So, like, I guess that's legit. Right. It's never returned to this in study. Yes. Yes. You know, part of that scientific method is let's do it again. Can we recognize yes. this? Yes. Let's do it again. What if we change this factor? How does that impact it? Yes. Let's do it again. Because now I, there's this other theory. Let's apply that and see what you know information it does or doesn't give us. It continues. It's not like this short little path that suddenly ends. That's right. Good research, and I say good research, right? Because there's also research that's not, like you said, you look at all these different things, you determine for yourself, but good research is painfully thorough. Mm-hmm. in that way, right? I mean, there's a reason why I didn't go into research. I can't stand oh it. God, yes. I can't stand, and I have colleagues who are like, they're not only great researchers, but they love it, and I respect them so much. That is awesome that they're into that. I'm more, again, clinical slash, like, I, I'm more practical. Like, I want to just, like, be doing it. I, But, yeah, it's so thorough that someone like me, I look at that, and I'm like, I'll do that as much as my, my graduate program requires me to do it, and then I'm done. I'm not, you know... That's the primary reason why I'm not getting my PhD because I don't want to be doing that. And people, I did a research lab when I was an undergrad, and I was still trying to figure out like, oh, what kind of therapy? Like, what am I doing? That was the thing for me. I loved mm. it. I, I don't want to hate on it. It was one of the best experiences. Had so much fun. Like somewhere out there, I, I'm, I think second author on a paper. Mm. Like, I loved it. It was great. Mostly because it was, it was a fun lab I was with. I was more like I was facilitating gathering a lot of the data so like I got to do things as opposed to just crunching numbers when it got to the crunching numbers time and like the let's write this whole thing out and let's make up a poster oh that was the moment for me it's mm. like yeah no 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 I'm not research is not for me it yeah. is this is my bias mind numbingly thorough yes my God. Yes. For something realistically, no shade on the research I was on. It was not groundbreaking research. <laughs> you know, like it wasn't like, oh my God, we have, we found a new thing. It was like condom use in college students. Mine was um, stop signs and the effectiveness of stop signs. Oh, nice. Actually, which, which is really interesting, but it's like it's been done 18 million times. It's, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, spoiler yes. alert. Yes. Lots of college students aren't using condoms as much as it would like to be recommended. <laughs> yes, and many people don't stop at stop signs. And usually if you, if you make them flash, you get some better results, but people still don't fucking do it. Yeah, like that's, yeah. Yes. Right, it's really nothing yes. where it's like, wow, cool, there's less condom usage in monogamous relationships. Yeah. Who'd have thunk? And it's like, yeah, okay. Again, not groundbreaking, and it was still so thorough and so <laughs> expansive. You know, I bet. like... 
Yeah. And I'm laughing because it's so true. It's like the most simple thing like that. And it's like, no, you got to stick to the method. Like it's so yes. tedious. Yes. Yes. I, yes. I don't even remember. What was it? Like 200? It was more than 200. I don't know. Sample was, was relatively large for a college thing. Um, like it was like a year and a half of study kind of a yeah. thing. You know, like it's a long process <laughs> for the thing that no one was surprised by. Yes. And so it's, again, some of the things that are going to be published are not groundbreaking because they're just there to be further evidence that like, mm-hmm. huh, if 10 things are telling me that like condom usage isn't as high as we'd like it to be on college campuses, maybe that's legit. Right. Right. There might be something there. So this all said, we're actually going to pause our podcast here. Um, This podcast is going to be broken into two parts just because it went a bit longer than even we anticipated. Um, So we hope that you enjoyed this first part, this episode, and uh, in our next podcast will be part two. Uh, So please join us then.